good to have you back with us again tonight. Let me say to you, thank you for being kind. My mother told me all about you, and I surely do appreciate it. Um, there'll be plenty of time for the other, so thank you for being kind, and, and uh, they said that they had felt like they were right at home, and they appreciated your hospitality that you extended them. If you would like an outline of tonight's sermon, it's found in your red book on page 395. The author of this particular song entitled Follow Me, I think encapsulated the thoughts of this sermon very well, and I'm going to use his uh, verses as the points. I wish I could do better, but I'm, I'm not a songwriter. Uh, I think he did an outstanding job, so let's dive right in there. When you and I sing praises to God, and when we sing about the goodness of God and the, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, we render praise and honor unto God. As a matter of fact, under, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, uh, we are told by that Hebrews writer to praise God with the fruits of our lips. That's one of those that I classify as the ten verses in the New Testament that teach us about singing in the worship services a cappella exclusively. And that one is one I kind of fudge on since it doesn't say singing, but it does say fruit of our lips. So if you'll let me have that one, we'll call it ten. If you won't let me have it, then we'll just call it nine. When we also sing unto God, we have an opportunity with those who are around us to teach and to admonish. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, we're told to teach and admonish those who are around us, and everything that we do is to bring praise and honor unto Jesus himself. As we sing to God, we are to sing with a very specific instrument that is designated by God. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, you're going to read the phrase, singing with your heart. Now, since I like language for a second, let's take a side note. Matter of fact, I'll move over here so you know it's a side note. The word singing there in the Greek is the word solo, P-S-A-L-L-O, if you were to anglicize that particular word. And that word has meant from its inception in the language. To pluck. An interesting idea. To pluck. However, also, from the inception of that word in the language until it's used even today at this moment in time, there has always been designated the instrument when that word is used. So when God says, sing with your heart, the instrument is designated. How many of you have ever had your heartstrings tugged or even plucked? Mm -hmm. That's the same instrument God expects from you and me. When we're told to sing unto God, we're told to sing with the understanding, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. We can't sing praises and, and worship songs unto God without understanding what they mean. And so as you and I understand singing, we understand the praise and the teaching side and the, the heart, and we understand uh, that you and I need to, to know and understand what we're singing about. So as we look at this particular song, it's written in a way as if the person singing it has an opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus Christ. 
as if Jesus were to come down from the right hand of the throne of God and at least in my mind, I think almost waste his time talking to me. The singer of this song wants, wants Jesus to understand how valuable he is. And as Jesus makes references in this particular song, he wants the singer to see how valuable the singer is because of the gift given for that singer. They're each trying to show how valuable that singer is, and the singer just doesn't understand it yet. Look at verse number one. Verse number one of entitled, Life is Tough. Isn't it? We have easy times and, and everything is, is smooth going because we're Christians, right? We never have a problem. All of, uh, all of everything that we want to have come true in our life is there, right? No. Notice what the singer writes. I've traveled down a lonely road, and I don't know why he was lonely on that road. Perhaps his friends turned their backs on him when he became a child of God or his, or his family. When I traveled down that lonely road, no one seemed to care. The burden on my weary back bowed me to despair. And notice this, and I often complain to Jesus about how folks were treating me. If anybody should understand mistreatment from other people, it should be Jesus the Christ, shouldn't it? If anybody understands how tough life is and how hard life is when you're trying to follow after God, it ought to be Jesus, right? If you're looking at me like, well, I don't know. Read Matthew or Mark or Luke and John, the last four or five chapters of each. You'll see a man who once seemingly had nothing and then had everyone singing his praises and then one week later was nailed to a cross. He understood how tough life was. And we live in a world in which life is busy, isn't it? At the start of this month, which is nearly halfway gone, I can't believe saying that, all I could say was we've got this and this and this upcoming and, and we have to be ready for this and this and this. And those things are passing. And we still have other things that are that are making our month busy. And isn't it good to be busy in the work of the Lord? Here this man says, life is tough. My life is too busy. My life is swiftly passing. Y'all probably don't realize this. But I graduated high school about 25 years ago. <laughs> I hear somebody saying, oh, that doesn't seem like a long time. It seems like five or six minutes. You know, my oldest child is 16. I remember when she didn't even, wasn't even around. You know, that, that 16 years, that 18 years of marriage goes by just like that. And life is swiftly passing. And life is tough. And life is busy. And we have to be realistic about those facts. But notice what Jesus said. As, as this man is, is complaining to him, in my mind, I almost, almost want Jesus to say, Son, you think you've got it bad. Let me tell you what happened to me. 
But he doesn't go there. In, in verse 1, he said, the writer writes this. I often complained to Jesus how folks were treating me. And then I heard him say tenderly. Don't skip past that word too quickly. Jesus had all the right in the world to this fellow to say, you, you had not seen tough yet. To where he says to him very tenderly, understanding the stress of this man's life and, and what he has been through and what Satan has put him through. And when I sing this song, I, I, in my mind I hear Jesus speaking to him. And I hear him see him pull him in close and say, my feet were also weary. Life was tough for me too. My feet were also weary upon that road that I had to travel. You know, at one point in time that cross became so heavy that I fell beneath it. My life was tough too. And I understand exactly where you're coming from. At the end of verse 1, he changes the mindset, I hope at least, of this one singing. After he says, be faithful, weary pilgrim. There's a phrase here that you and I need to understand. Jesus will say to him, that time past the darkness that you can't see. I can see it. Be faithful, weary pilgrim. The morning I can see. It's going to be okay. If I die tonight. If I wake up in eternity. Is it going to be okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be faithful. Because I know how this turns out. Notice verse number two. Uh-oh. I hit one too many. Sacrifice is hard. As a matter of fact, the, the singer is going to sing this. And... So often I do, and I'm not sure if you do, but so often I do have this pitiable attitude. I work so hard for Jesus, I often boast and say. I've sacrificed a lot of things to walk the narrow way. I gave up fame and fortune. I am worth a lot to you. How many of us have that, that mindset or have had that mindset of what I could be doing if I wasn't doing this? What I could be doing, what I could have if I've given up everything for you. I work very hard for you. Don't you, don't you realize that, Jesus? How much work I do and how beneficial your kingdom is because you, 
<coughs> have me. By the way, by verse 3, he's going to grow up a little bit, and, and that's going to go away. That's sometimes how we think. I, I've done this and that and this other thing for the church, and, and not only is life hard, but the Christian life is hard. You know, you know what Jesus said? Yea, and all, or Paul rather said through the inspiration of God, yea, and all who live godly might have an opportunity to suffer persecution, Right? Oh, that's not what mine says. Could at times be required maybe to suffer persecution, right? Oh, no. The Bible reads, Yea, and all who live godly shall suffer persecution. We wonder why life is hard. We wonder why the Christian life is hard. It's because life was hard on Christ. We look and see famous people in our world who were selfish, famous for, for nothing. I have a family that pops into my mind who are famous for nothing. They have a reality TV show. Just to bring that in a little further to you. Uh, one of them was a decathlete in 1976. Well, they, what have they done? Nothing. But everybody in here knows who I'm talking about, don't you? See, people with their, with their pockets bulging. You see men and women who seemingly have the world by the tail. And, and notice this word, seemingly. It all looks good on the outside. Kind of putting up that facade over the whirlwind that is their life. And I look at them... And selfishly sometimes say or think, why can't I have that? Did you know the only thing God holds back from his children are things that are not good for them? Why can't I have that? Because it's, it's not good. It's not good for you. And then I hear him say, once again, not in a manner in which to get the singer told or, or a manner in which to, to put him in his place. Then I heard him gently say to me, and I left my throne of glory. If you'd like a picture of that throne of glory, you find it in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. You see, in the year that King Uzziah died, I was entranced and saw myself high and lifted up in front of that very throne in which the, the, the Son of God sat, and his train filled the entire temple, and above him flew six seraphim or three seraphim, rather, and they had all six wings, and with, with two of those wings, they covered their face as if to say, I'm not worthy to look upon the throne of God. 
With two, they covered their feet as if to say, I'm not even worthy to stand near that throne of God. And with two, they flew and they would scream back and forth to each other throughout this room, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And while Isaiah is in this trance looking at this particular throne and in awe of it, one of the angels comes and tells him that he put a, a hot burning coal on his tongue. You know how I know it's not true? You ever touch something on fire? Or hot? Did you know it? Or did somebody have to tell you? And Isaiah is so impressed with what he sees, he hears God the Father and God the Word at that point in history speaking to each other, and they say, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah speaks up and said, I'm going to go. Here am I, you send me. That's the throne that Jesus left and counted it for loss. I left the throne that created everything here and I came to a slum and lived a poor life. Matter of fact, not only did I leave that place of glory, but even as the Son of God, even as the one by which nature and time exists, they took my hands and my feet and they affixed me to a cross. Let me show you what you don't see in verse number two. And I resent mankind for it. His intent there is I gave up everything and I would do it again to save you and to save me. I've left my throne. I've counted it but lost. I've had my hands and my feet nailed to a, to a cross. And he says to that singer, if you'll give me a chance... We will complete this journey called life with your hand in my hand. Life's tough. The Christian life can be hard. But Jesus said, if you'll give me a chance, I'll help you through it. I'll be right by your side every step of the way. He goes on to verse 3. And his attitude changes. He says, if I die upon a foreign field someday, it would be no more than love demands. It would be no less than I would need to repay. He goes on to say, no greater love hath mortal man than for a friend to die. It's starting to click. He's getting it. He's understanding. If I, as the servant of God, spend all of my time serving Him and I happen to die while I am in a foreign field, if I happen to die while I am serving Him in my backyard, if I happen to die while I'm serving Him in your backyard, The importance of the statement is this. 
Not if I die in your yard or my yard or on some place I don't even know. The importance is if I am serving him. As a servant, that's my requirement, isn't it? Is he my master? Shake your head this way. I'm going to introduce you all to an Alabama thing. Is he your master? Shake or nod. Yeah. If he is, then your job requirement is service. And if I die upon a foreign field and I am serving you, it wouldn't be any more than me repaying a debt that I still can't pay off even with my entire life. He is beginning to get it. When I live and I see my life as this third verse, then it's starting to click. Then I'm starting to understand what that, that life of a Christian is about. I understand the bigger picture of things, and I understand by whose plan, number one, I'm saved, and by whose plan, number two, I live. Oh, Jesus, if I die upon a foreign field someday. And he goes on to say, once again, Gently. It might be the fact that as our eyes are opening to this idea that we kind of jump the gun a little bit like Peter and say, not only my, my feet, but my hands and my head too. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death or deny you three times tonight. I'm not sure which I'm going to do yet. I think everything he said with I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death and don't wash only my feet but wash my hands and my head too. I think Peter had the, the greatest of intentions. I want to be completely swallowed up by you, Jesus. If, if washing your feet will do it, uh, you wash all of them. You make sure I'm part of you. I'm ready to go all the way with you, Jesus, wherever you want to go. But he wasn't ready to carry those things through. I think maybe... Sometimes we jump the gun and we understand things intellectually and we don't understand the, the bigger picture of things. I'm ready, I'm ready, Jesus, to go to that foreign field. Really, we're going to go tomorrow. Oh, I, I got some work I've got to do. Whoa. What work do you have to do that's more important than the work of Jesus the Christ? I'll wait. Because there's none. There is no more important job than spreading the borders of the kingdom. But then Jesus gently, once again gently, says to me, if I were to place a cup of water in your hand, that's the only thing I want back. How many of you have a cup at your house? Or more than one cup? How many of you have a water faucet in uh, at least one room of your house and you get as much water as you want? We look at water and we say, that's nothing. Look at that simple little thing of water. I got, we got water. But we live around all kinds of lakes here. We've got water. When you look at that and you see just the water, you haven't seen the principle. Jesus says, I'm going to give you something small. I want you to take care of that. And I want you to return that to me. If just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all I'm going to demand. Matter of fact, 
1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 tells us that exact same thing, that the commands of God are not grievous. They're not something that we cannot do. He said, if I give you this, I'm not going to demand a cup of water and a loaf of bread. Just that water. You'll be faithful over those things and I will give them to you. We have to be faithful over those small things or those things seen as small in order to receive more. Then the song goes back to the singer. And the singer begins and says this. But if by death to living they can thy glory see. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16. That's the principle there. That men may see your good works and give you a big old pat on the back, right? That men will see your good works and talk about how wonderful of a preacher or wonderful of this or that that you are. See, in, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus says that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. But if by death to living, those around me can see the glory of God, then I will pick up my cross and follow him. Notice what he's saying. If by death to living they can thy glory see, I will take my implement of death and follow close to you. We would look at people very oddly. I maybe should have researched this, but I didn't. We'll just pretend like we're in Alabama for a minute, okay? We would look at people very oddly if they wore a chain and on that, on that golden chain around their neck they had a small little version of the electric chair. You would look at them and go, uh, I don't know about that guy. I'd like for you to understand that when you see those necklaces and that cross, that's what they're wearing. The implement of death for corporal punishment in the time of Jesus. Would you take up your cross and follow him? If it meant your life, would you do it? Because it will mean your life. It will mean the death of an old man and the birth of a new man. It will mean you no longer get to make the decisions in your life. It means you're going to become a servant. And we could have a whole sermon on the idea of being a slave of Jesus and how much in the southeast we really don't like that term slave. Are you willing to follow the master? Are you willing to pick up that cross? Nobody's going to make you carry it. You have to pick it up by yourself. And you have to carry it. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, it's time for you to pick up your cross and follow him. I know for at least uh, three months you've heard me and a lot longer for others. 
And about every time in, in this particular portion of the sermon, I walk down here and I say these same things. That if you've never put on Christ in baptism, you need to. There is no verse 4, 5, or 6 to this particular song. Jesus never addresses those who haven't put him on in Christ. This song is addressed completely to those who have been obedient to God in baptism. So if you have not, you've not even been mentioned in this, verse, in this song. If you have not, you're in the worst predicament you could be in, eternally speaking, and you may never even know it. You have an opportunity tonight to be added to the family of God, to be adopted by God into His family. And you have an opportunity to wash the sin out of your life and stand before God right now, holy and pure and justified. But, I'm not going to drag you up the stairs kicking and screaming. I, I can't hold you under, as we would say back home, until they stop bubbling, and that's okay. No, I can't do that. But what I can do is tell you that that baptistry is warm and ready, and a patient God is waiting for you to be obedient to Him. And brother or sister, if you've done those things, and you look at that song, and maybe you say to yourself, I I haven't really picked up my cross in a while. I haven't really followed him every day. Come home. Come home right now while we stand and while we sing. Peace like all